Y'all, it is time to bring it the hell in because we have a loaded and very special episode of The Read Option coming to you right now. And I know what you're thinking if you're listening, all right? You're saying, Jeff, it's been you solo and little appearances from Scotty now for a while and we're sick of hearing you talk. So you know what? I have a solution for you all because I am joined not just by Scotty Miller, but the triumphant return of one Brian Sanvito to the read option. Boy, Scotty, we'll get to you in a second, but Vito, how the hell are you? I am great. It is great to see you guys. I can't wait to start talking some sports. It's going to be electric. We have the draft coming up. Uh, this is going to be, you know, when I look at my calendar for a year, um, the draft is one of the five most special occasions of the year. Uh, that includes holidays, Christmas, Easter, all that good stuff. The draft is what I live for. Um, I used to take off. Uh, I used to fake sick, actually. Shout out, mom. I used to fake sick all the time when the draft was coming up. My parents wouldn't know. And I'd like print out all this stuff. And I'd use all my old printer's ink, right? And your parents would be like, what? Why is everything printing like kind of green colored? And Yeah, I would use all the ink to, to get ready for the draft. So I am so stoked to be with you guys and talk through this. What sport is drafting? I'm not. Is it? Oh, the NFL draft. Oh, okay. The only sport that matters, just, Scotty. I think we need, just need to boot. Just if we can mute people on on a uh, on Zoom, right? I think I, I think I have the power to just get Scotty top. No, uh, thanks, uh, thanks, Scotty Reali. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. We're gonna take one from uh, around the horn once again. Uh, no, look, guys, I am I'm super stoked for this. I I've been waiting. Uh, but part of your punishment for being away from us for so long, Vito, is you have to recap the last month and a half's worth of sports in 30 seconds. Go. Okay, so um, <clears throat> we had a couple draft trades. The Browns, besides Damian Clowney, and I just want to just talk about that for a minute because that's been incredible. I, I'm traveling to Cleveland now, so none of the other news matters. I think the Indians might be in first place. No one there cares. Uh, Let me they're, not the, uh, they're not referred Football. to that as anymore. It's the Cleveland uh, baseball uh, team. That's all I have. Honestly, it's the only football. It's the only news and sports I know of. That's it. And Jill- Masters, we did have all you basketball. You know, <laughs> we did have March Madness, and we did have the Masters. Uh, oh, but you wow. know what, Vita? You're, you're not too far off, my friend, because this is the time of the year when people are just scratching at anything to try to get a little bit of sports. We're, we're like the Dave Chappelle meme where you're just scratching your neck looking for – you know, a little bit extra, a little bit extra juice. And, and right now it is all about the NFL draft. And so that is what this podcast about today and our next one next week is going to be about. We're going to spend two podcasts, one breaking down as many of the offensive prospects as we can. And, and the next one next week, which is going to be just defensive side of the ball, the guys on that side that we are looking forward to going, we're going to go through obviously not <clears throat> every single draft pick, we're not going to go through every single round, right? And we did our mock draft, and shit has changed dramatically since we did that. So it's not even worth going through that whole, you know, spiel again. But I want to take some time today to really, you know, break down position by position some of the guys, some of the names we know. Obviously, we have a guy, there are quarterbacks. I think we know pretty solidly who those top five guys are there. But some of the guys you may not know, right? Your running backs outside of Najee Harris and Travis Etienne. Some of the deeper wide receivers who could come in and make an impact. And 
we're all drooling over Kyle Pitts, but it's not just Kyle Pitts at the tight end position, though. There is a bit of a gap. So I'm really excited to do that. But before we get into that, the last time we did do a mock draft where all three of us were together and we really broke down the NFL draft, the entire draft looked a lot different. Primarily, the San Francisco 49ers, your 49ers, Scott, were drafting at 12. My Philadelphia Eagles were drafting at six, and the Miami Dolphins are drafting at three. And now all of that has changed. We have the 49ers number three overall. We have the Miami Dolphins at number six and the Philadelphia Eagles at 12. So obviously, Scotty and I have our own opinions about this because our teams are directly impacted. So Vito, I'm going to hand it off to you here. What do you make? Like, Give me a quick one hitter, one bullet from what you think each of these teams is kind of looking for after making a trade like that. Well, I think San Fran's obviously going quarterback. Um, I think you don't move into the top three in a draft like this unless that's what you're going to do. Dolphins, I actually don't know. Dolphins are one that could kind of hit, hit a wide range. And Eagles clearly are like, hey, let's get some capital. We need a lot of they're they're looking to almost retool because it's not a rebuild. I think they still have a lot of skill players, and I think you'd agree with me. Like they have a lot of pieces there, and I actually do believe in Hurts. So it almost seems like they're getting they need more younger talent. And but the the Dolphins are the ones for me that are like wide open. Like what are they going to do here? Um, that's that's the interesting spot for me. Yeah, it could go wide receiver. They could go Kyle Pitts and pair him with uh, with Mike Kosicki, two pass catching tight ends. What are we going to do, boys? That, that Miami spot is a, is a bit of a wild card. Uh, that'll be interesting to see. I think you're right, Vito. I think the Niners have to, have to, for all they traded, have to go up uh, to get the quarterback there. Um, we all know how I feel about the current quarterback. Uh, I'm not going to name names, but Jimmy Garoppolo. Um, uh, <laughs> and uh, I think his heir apparent is in the works. You know, I, and, and we're all on board there. There's again, you don't you don't give up that much capital. You don't give up that many assets to move up to number three to draft Kyle Pitts. I mean, and that's not any slight against Kyle Pitts. There's a chance Kyle Pitts might be the best prospect when you rank them, regardless of position, in this draft. You know, one of the things McShay does every year that I legitimately love is his just overall rankings, where he puts out the grade, and, and that way you're not comparing apples to oranges. You're, you're great. You know, it's this apple is an A and this orange is a B plus, you know, so you can kind of get an idea to how to compare the two, despite the fact that they are completely different positions. Now, as an Eagles fan, I had a very visceral reaction. Scotty saw me, I think the day after or two days after that trade went down yeah. and he can attest, I was not a happy camper. I've come around. Well, you lost to it the a trade. Bit. I like the you idea. You lost it. Well, we don't know yet, right? We don't know, right? Because if they use those three first founders that they potentially have next year to trade for Russell Wilson, all right, then maybe I'm on board, you know? So we don't know yet the full extent of what that trade and how that trade is going to end up. It's too soon to make a grade. In the short term, thinking I'm going to see Jamar Chase running around in midnight green and now realizing that there's no chance in hell that's going to happen, it is absolutely deflating as a fan. That being said, I am still excited about the upside that we could potentially have there. Now, the Dolphins, I agree with you both. The Dolphins could go any direction that they want. They could trade back a little more. They could, you know, because that's the thing, too, is what does Atlanta do it for? I think we know that Cincinnati's either going to go Jamar Chase or Penny School. I think it has to be one of those two guys unless Kyle Pitts is there. 
in which case you could throw Kyle Pitts in the mix as well. What happened at number six with Miami is a huge question mark. Now, Scotty, as a Niners fan, the quarterbacks that are on the board, assuming Trevor Lawrence goes number one and Zach Wilson goes number two, which of those quarterbacks would you most like to see wearing the maroon and gold or whatever color, burgundy and gold, you guys call it out there in San Francisco? What would you idealistically – you have red and gold, whatever. You know, maybe I'm thinking too much like college where everyone has to have like a very, you know, like a chartreuse in gold. Yeah, garnet. Right? It can't yeah. just be a normal version of red. It has to be yeah. slightly different. Garnet and gold. Uh, which quarterback would you like to see playing for the Niners next year? I am all in on Trey Lance. He's big. He's athletic. Oh, my he, man. He's big, athletic. Wow. He can throw the ball. Um, he, I mean, he can zip it with – with Wilson, Zach Wilson, and that's saying something in this draft class. And he can run. He's a, he's a dual threat um, when, when it comes down to Kyle Shanahan's offense. I think he's the best fit. I think he has the best upside um, more than Fields, um, Wow, I think. But, um, yeah, I, I, love, I love Trey Lance. I've, I've watched a lot of tape on him in the last couple of weeks since we traded up to three, really. Um, and, and that's my guy. I'm, I'm, that's, that's my pick. I'm right there with you, Scotty. And I detailed, I did on a pod last week, I did about 25 minutes on Trey Lance. You know, why I think he's the, he's absolutely the most intriguing prospect in this year's draft class, regardless of position. Uh, You know, what we've learned is that just because a player and a quarterback comes from the FCS does not diminish the potential talent that's there. Carson Wentz is undeniably one of the most talented quarterbacks in the NFL. Whether or not he can translate that for success or not, you know, that's ultimately dependent on where he ends up. And it worked for a little bit in Philly. And now we're going to see if Frank Reich and Chris Ballard can get that out of him out there in Indy. The reason I'm so high on Trey Lance is, you know, getting off of Jimmy G is not as easy as everybody thinks, right? He's got a no trade clause. It's not likely that he's going to green light a trade unless it's somewhere that he really, really wants to go. So chances are you're still going to have Jimmy G on your roster going into this season. Trey Lance is 20 years old. Trey Lance is 20 years old right now as we are speaking, which is insanely young, right? We're talking about a guy like Sam Darnold was the same age going into the draft process. Sam Darnold's only 23. So you're getting a quarterback who is younger, who's inexperienced, who picked up a more complex offense at North Dakota State. He can do a little bit of everything, like you said. He ran for 1,100 yards as a redshirt freshman at North Dakota State. He's a big, strong body, and the upside there with Trey Lance is undeniable. Now, it seems almost like a done deal that Mac Jones is going to be the guy that gets taken there. And this is a perfect segue into what I want to start talking about here, which is our preview. So hang tight. Scotty's shaking his head because he's not too happy with the idea of Mac Jones being his quarterback. And I'm going to try to help tell him why he shouldn't be too bummed, but maybe just a little bit. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, now it's time. We're going to break down. Before we get into it, I just want to lay out a little bit what we're going to do here. All right, so again, I said it a little bit in the intro. We're going position by position here on the offensive side of the ball. So we're going quarterback, wide receiver, running back, tight ends. Take a little break, and then we're going to wrap up with some of the offensive linemen because this is a loaded offensive lineman group, uh, both at tackle and guard, especially in the first three rounds. I want to make sure that we give the big the big uglies, as they say, up front. I want to make sure we give them their due. But as we all know about football, the most important position on the field is quarterback. And so 
we were just talking about who the 49ers might take at three. But guys, even though we're all saying that the draft starts at number three this year, the draft still does start at number one. So we have to talk about the number one overall prospect, the guy we already know. He's already donated money to charities in Jacksonville. It is that man, Sunshine, one of my favorite players I've ever gotten to watch at the college level, and I'm super excited to see what he does. That is Trevor Lawrence. Now, on the pod I did earlier in the week, I defended uh, Trevor Lawrence because there was a lot of criticism that came out about him, saying that he didn't love football because of some of his answers in a Sports Illustrated article, because he felt that he could walk away from the game and be okay, that people were then saying that he doesn't love football. The question I have for both of you, and Vito, you can start here, my man. Is there anything that concerns you about Trevor Lawrence here and his transition to the pros? Nothing. There's not one single thing I'm worried about. I think like anybody, it's just the fact that he's growing up, right? He's going to be a professional. When you graduate college, no matter what you do, even if it's football, it's a different level of being a professional. And I think that that's the level and, um, you know, what he expects of himself and what the team expects of himself and what the city expects of himself is a little different, right? In college, everyone expected him to be that guy. And he was, and now they're expecting him to be that again. Luckily, again, it's Jacksonville, smaller market. And I think it's going to be really cool for him to be in the Southeast where he kind of, he's from. And I'm excited to see what he does. I have zero concern. And I think this is one of the most slam dunk first overall picks we've had in the last 10 years. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think he's the most pro ready. Uh, and he proved that <clears throat> when he was in college. Um, I, I don't see a scenario where, uh, where he fails. Uh, you know, if the Jaguars are smart and, and put the pieces around him, uh, which they've already started doing by uh, signing some of the guys they did in free agency. And on top of that, getting Urban Meyer to come out of retirement to coach the team. Um I think that's they're building a recipe for success and and building it around uh, him. He's he's the main course, uh, so to speak. So uh, I don't see uh, an issue uh, with him. The only thing is uh, he might get a little a little too lax in that Florida sunshine with that hair, man. Just hitting the beach too many times. Uh, uh, the only other place he could do that is out in California. <laughs> but. Uh, oh. I mean, you're talking about a kid who grew up in the South, you know, not too far yeah. away from the water. I, I think he spent plenty of time down there. That's a little low. I know you're being a little tongue in cheek there too, but you know, so I guess if, if I have to nitpick and there are some things you can nitpick with him, right? He's got a pretty long release. He's a tall guy. He's long arms. There's some anticipation things with him that people don't love. I, to me, this isn't about drafting in you. Look, there's, there's very, very few quote unquote, perfect prospects, right? You're always going to be able to find one or two things that make you shy away from a player, maybe make you raise some concerns. The reason that you take Trevor Lawrence and you don't think twice about it is because think about the amount of pressure that he's already mantled in his career, right? When he was a true freshman taking over for Kelly Bryant at Clemson team that was just coming off of the Deshaun Watson era, right? team that had been in national championship games, college football playoffs, had won before, had knocked off Nick Saban and Alabama. There was an immense amount of pressure put on this kid at 18 years old. Not only did he handle it, he flourished under it. He showcased the world that he is not just a 
pretty face and pretty hair or really good he talent, <laughs> which is all true. It's the fact that he is the person that he is. And, and, and that's the kind of stuff that you can't measure. And so, yeah, maybe Zach Wilson is a little bit more natural of a thrower and has a stronger arm and a quicker release. And maybe Justin Fields is a better athlete. And maybe Trey Lance has more of a total package. To me, Trevor Lawrence is everything that you want in a number one overall pick. And when you're going to a place like Jacksonville, a place that's never had – I mean, who is the greatest quarterback in Jacksonville Jaguars history? Mark Brunel. Brunel. Hands down. Love it's, it. It's a debate <laughs> between Byron Leftwich, Mark Brunel, and David Garrard. Yeah. All right. Byron Leftwich like, had some great years. Right. So Not when Blaine that Gabbert? is how, you know, I, and hey, I love me some Blake Bortles. Who doesn't? You know, who's who's not a Blake Bortles fan? But when I when I look at their like, all right, this is the time. Like we've been in the league now for 25 years. We need a legitimate star caliber quarterback this is the guy that you put that pressure on because he's not just carrying the weight of himself or his co- he's carrying the weight of an entire city. And I hated a lot of the negative criticisms that surrounded him this past week and the last couple of weeks. And I think he's going to be an absolute home run higher. Now at number two, it is pretty much assumed by now that Zach Wilson is going to be the pick. I'm still not a hundred percent sold on Zach Wilson but I get why other teams do. I get why the New York Jets are enthralled by this kid. The arm angles, the straight-up velocity that he can throw the ball at his size, the not great mobility, but the you know the quarterback mobility, the be, being able to navigate the pocket, being able to avoid rushers and some of the feel stuff is really remarkable. And then, of course, we all love gunslingers. Like, it's the reason why people love Jameis, even though he was throwing 30 interceptions, you know? Because we love guys who aren't afraid to just step back and rip it. Do you agree that Zach Wilson and the rest of those quarterbacks that are there, I know Vito, you're a big Justin Fields guy, is Zach Wilson the right pick at number two for the New York Jets? I think no. I think you go Justin Fields. But I I understand why a lot of people are going this way. Um, It's just kind of, you know, you have to go with your gut. With these quarterbacks, you can't nitpick like you're saying every single thing you need to look at what you're looking for for your offense who has the most strengths in those categories and I just think that Zach Wilson has a ton of strengths I think that Justin Fields has a different level of um, I would say overall talent in my book what I've seen him do even from a through high school go back six years and and same with with just I'm sorry with uh, Trevor Lawrence you know these are guys who have been doing it forever. Not that Zach Wilson hasn't, but I think when you watch how consistent they've been, like people will talk recently about Justin Fields having, you know, a couple of bad games last year, two bad games. It what three bad games in the last six years. That's my point. I, I think you got to look at it in a little bit of a bigger picture. And that's why I go with fields. Um, and I just think he has the arm talent and the speed and man, he's just exciting to watch. And I think if you're in New York and you're talking, selling tickets, I don't know, man. There's something about it. I, I'm going fields, but that's my take. What do you guys think? I I agree with you. Uh, and my rationale is that a, um, they don't have the weapons at all that, that are around him. Um, which I mean, to be fair, Wilson didn't have a whole lot of weapons at BYU. Um, he was kind of the guy. Uh, so he's kind of stepping into the same scenario, but uh, you just, 
you look at the numbers, right? On a big quarterback class like this, there are guys of, of the top five guys, right? We project maybe five first-round quarterbacks. How many of them are actually going to hit, right? Statistically, statistically, maybe two, maybe. Um, two and, and a Lawrence, half. Lawrence, to me, is the only slam dunk. Uh, and I, I'm not sold that Zach, uh, Zach Wilson's the other one. Um, hopefully it's Trey Lance when the Niners pick him, but I don't think he is, you know, we'll see. Um, and I, but I definitely don't think it's Zach Wilson. Um, so for that reason, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go quarterback here because statistically one of those guys has to be, has to be an absolute slam dunk home run, um, kind of guy. And I don't think Wilson's that. Uh, I mean, I disagree in that. I think you absolutely go quarterback here. You traded away Sam Darnold. Like you have to go quarterback here. Uh, If we're talking about upside, I, I actually think Zach Wilson has higher upside than Justin Fields. Um, I've been kind of all along, even before some of the anti Justin Fields stuff, I think swung too far in the opposite direction. Um, You know, I hear this a lot when people are talking about quarterbacks, they say, you know, well, how did we go from Justin Fields being the number two prospect all year to now all of a sudden without playing any games, Justin Fields is now the third or fourth option at quarterback. And for me, it's a pretty simple explanation because teams and analysts have started digging into the tape. You know, we can all see things at at first glance and say, Oh wow. Like, yeah, that kid's special. And, And what he did in that game against Clemson is absolutely special. And the way he gutted out towards the end, even though they were getting blown out in that Alabama national championship game, playing on basically a broken rib, you know, his abdomen was practically snapped in half for that game. I give Justin Fields all the credit in the world. And I disagree vehemently about the is, you know, he's the last guy in first one leave kind of bullshit. I think all that stuff that Orlovsky put out there was smokescreen shit and he, and he bought the bait, but yeah, I thought that was a, a lot of content. Um, you know, creation stuff, but whatever. I wouldn't um, call it content creation as much as Orlovsky, who is as, you know, Orlovsky's plugged in. Orlovsky does yeah. the homework. A lot of those guys don't. So that, that to me isn't, you know, I'm doing this for clicks. That is Orlovsky trusting the wrong person and, and being willing to say it on air. And that was his mistake. And he owned up to it and he's done a ton of breakdowns on field. There's a lot to like about Justin Fields. There's a lot to like about him. And I don't necessarily think he's going to be a bad pro. But when you look at what Zach Wilson can do from a just purely talent standpoint, he is the most Mahomesian of any prospect in this class, including Trevor Lawrence. He just he can do things throwing the ball that other guys can't. And that is something that no matter how fast Justin Fields run, which I've said before, 40 times are the most bogus bullshit thing that we do in football. Talk about like creating shit for content. That is yeah. that is the 40 time. That is pro days. Pro days are just a glorified game of catch that we all think are important and somehow they're not. Zach Wilson is the guy here if you're looking for who is who gives me the best chance to give me an elite level quarterback at the NFL level. And I like Justin Fields and Justin Fields has that potential too, but his ceiling is even a little bit lower than that of Zach Wilson. Now, at number 3, assuming those two are off the board cuz Based off of everything we've heard, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. It's going to be Zach Wilson. At number three is where this conversation gets interesting. And I know you want Trey Lance or Justin Fields. Mac Jones will be good in San Francisco. He just will. So if they end up going that route, 
I'm not overly concerned about what will what is the potential? How many games you can win? Like Mac Jones can step in, run that offense with the running backs, with the talent wide receiver between Debo and Brandon Ayuk, and can win a lot of games. I think he could win 10 games for you starting tomorrow. The difference is you're talking about a guy who has a really high floor versus drafting a quarterback at number three overall that you want a high ceiling for. So I want to tell you, Scotty, who I know you don't want Mac Jones, if you end up getting Mac Jones there, there is a lot of potential for a maybe not a home run, but maybe like a double in the gap, you know, like an opposite field double, which is very hey, serviceable. Gap, gap hitter. Yeah, it, it's 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 it would be a great pickup to have there. He's extremely accurate with the football. He makes great decisions. He can kind of he's good at kind of layering the football a little bit. And the big thing with Mac Jones is his football IQ, I think, is off the charts. He also had two guys on his team that were Heisman candidates that he was throwing the ball to. Look, the the I, there's no doubt he has the the talent uh, to be a first round quarterback. There's two things to me at play. One, to me, he's just a younger version of Jimmy G. Um, he's got the same build. He's got the same sort of IQ, uh, the same arm talent. It's not really that much of an upgrade for me. Uh, and secondly, I don't understand why you would trade that much capital to trade that far up in the draft to get Mac Jones when he's going to be sitting there most likely at 12 anyway. Um, it doesn't, it doesn't make sense to me. To me, that means you want a guy with a high ceiling. That's why you trade up that, that high. Um, and so that's where you take a guy like fields or, or uh, trade Lance because they have that high upside. You know what you're getting with Mac Jones. It's pretty painted on a picture. Bob Ross can do it. Uh, but look, it's again, no knock on him. He's, he's a talented quarterback. I think he's a first-round guy, but not number three. And definitely not for the capital we gave up. You know, I, and, and you're not wrong, but I would, I would phrase it this way. When you trade up that high in the draft, it's not necessarily that you go up. And, like, this can be a personal opinion thing, right? For you, like, you want to trade up for a guy who has a high upside. If you are a team trading up, you're trading up because you have found the guy. Yeah, And well, if Mac yeah. Jones is the guy to Kyle Shanahan and Kyle Shanahan will forget more about football than all three of us combined will ever, ever, ever know. And if that is his guy, then that's his guy. And so then trading the assets to get up there will be worth it. Now, I would also add this. Jimmy G led you to a Super Bowl and was four yards too long on a deep ball away from winning you one. So why is it a problem to go after a younger version and a more talented version? Because I think Mac Jones is more talented than Jimmy G, just in raw talent. Why is that a down thing to go up and get a younger and slightly more talented of a quarterback in the same system that just a, two years ago had you on the had you on the precipice of winning a Super Bowl? Because he's going to be learning from that guy. Like, it's just, you talk about apples to apples. Like, that is an apples to apples comparison to me. It's not, it, there's no, uh, like, Kyle learning, or uh, Trey Lance learning from uh, Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo, or Justin Fields learning from Kyle Shanahan and Jimmy Garoppolo in that system makes sense to me. Mac Jones is just a like-for-like trade, right? So we have Jimmy G playing this year, and then he's going to be out the door. Yeah, I Uh, disagree. I I think that what we're looking at here when we talk about differences, these are two different human beings. There's so many differences, I feel like, when you even look at their games. 
and and I we're the same number. Point. <laughs> okay, well, I mean, come on. That uh, yeah. So did Namath. Like I, I don't know what you want me to do. Like there's a bunch of different things. Like like there are a bunch of guys. They, they always say that about when you draft the number twelve. It's like oh Brady. It's like well Namath had it too, right? Like you can if you want to use numbers. It's not like every Hall of Fame quarterback's the same. It's not like all these guys you're drafting are the same. I, I think the biggest thing about well a lot of these quarterbacks. Scotty, to your point is who fits with the system, but with Mac Jones, he's kind of shown he can, he can do it at the highest level with the highest talent around him. And sometimes that's what you need. I mean, these guys are throwing to fast ass dudes at wide receiver beast ass running backs for splitting out. And he's used to that level. So at any level, you can say his anticipation is more transitive than anyone else's in the first round. So to Jeff's yeah. point, I think that that does show the high the high floor, right? Yeah. Now, I will say the saving grace for me if we do end up picking Mac Jones is that it's it's true that Bill or uh, yeah Bill Belichick had been eyeing him, and everyone talking about how that's a great Bill Belichick type quarterback to get into that Patriot system. That's a saving grace. If we get that guy, I'm good. We got Tom Brady too. Great. Let's do it. I'm there. Take me there. Well, and I think that's, I think you're just being, and don't get me wrong, like Mac Jones isn't the sexy pick. And I think you, oh, yeah. I, lo- I love that point you made, Vito, because I think that's exactly right. Like he's used to playing with guys who are going to, I mean, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, you know, those are guys who, even Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, like these are guys he's played with who are all first round caliber wide receivers and first round talents at that position. Now, there is something to be said about playing behind that offensive line not having to deal with some of the pressure, what happens when the put, when the play breaks down, what happens when you face a team that can get pressure with four guys. But I look at the 49ers as they're in a position to win right now. They're in a position to win a legit, you know, actually go out and win a title right now with the roster that they have around them. Again, we are a year and three months removed from them being in the Super Bowl and being damn close to beating the Kansas city chiefs. And think about the way we talk about Kansas city, Right. Think about how we drool over Kansas City and how unbelievable it is. And I'm not saying that it's not heartache as a fan, but I wouldn't be so quick to write off something that had you that close. You're saying it's not apples to apples. You know, well, if we're talking about apples to apples, well, that must be one of the greatest apples in the world because that apple got you four yards shorter on a deep ball away from winning the freaking Super Bowl against Patrick Mahomes and Kansas City Chiefs. That is an awesome fucking apple to eat. Like, I would love to give me as many of those apples as you possibly can. It's poison, Jeff. Be careful. No, that's a pink sweet lady if I've ever tasted one. I love those apples, man. I don't know if you guys have had those. That's Jimmy. Oh, Jimmy. yeah. He's so tasty. No, dude, it's the honey. It's the honey crisp. Give me the oh. honey crisp all day. Okay. Well, well if Mac guy. Jones is the pink sweet lady, then uh, Trey Lance and, and Justin Fields will be the, the honey crisp. So these two to me are where this draft gets really interesting because I like Trey Lance more than Justin Fields. I like just, like I said, I said this multiple times. I like Justin Fields. We've gone it down the rabbit hole, a little bit of each mm. quickly in like 10 seconds or less. Give me your fast sales pitch for why you would take Justin Fields or Trey Lance. If I'm the Denver Broncos and either one of these guys falls to me, I'm stoked. Let me just say that right now. I think even with Drew Lockett, I believe in him. But if I have the choice and I'm picking, you know, one and the rest are gone, I'm taking Justin Fields because of, let me just say this. 
when you look at the tape and when you watch everything, you can't necessarily pick one or the other. Um, at least I can't. And my gut just tells me fields and I have no reason why, but I think when you watch enough football, you just know which guys you believe in or not. And for me, I believe in fields and I probably watched more of his games over a longer period of time. And that's why I think he's better. You want a guy who can fit into a system uh, in a complex system in the NFL and take NFL caliber skills to the NFL. You take Trey Lance. Uh, Justin Fields is a great college quarterback. Uh, Trey Lance is a pro ready quarterback right now. And I'm going to do the thing that makes all podcasts and sports radio great and not have a hard opinion and say that it's always going to depend on which team takes which guy. Because to me, the ceiling and the floor are pretty similar with both of these guys. Both of them are projects. Both of them have all the tools you need. But who gets their hands on them is ultimately going to decide who ends up being the better player. If I had to pick, I would take Trey Lance but I don't think the margin is that far off. All right, guys, quickly here before we move on to the wide receivers. There's a few other quarterbacks hanging around. I have three in mind here. All right, so of the three, I'm going to list off for you guys. Similar to what we just did, tell me which one you like and why. All right, Kellen Mond out of Texas A&M, Kyle Trask at the University of Florida, and Davis Mills, quarterback from Stanford, who are you? Ta- I know you don't hear. I'll add, I'll add a fourth one in there too to see if if you guys are really locked into your college football. Jamie Newman, oh. former former Wake Forest and Wake Forest, yeah, <clears throat> for about two months was a Georgia quarterback. <laughs> Which of those four guys do you like as a maybe like early second round, like a mid second round, third round kind of flyer guy who has high ceiling upside? Give me Kellen Mond. Uh, Kellen Mond, I've seen a lot of uh, comps lately uh, to Dak Prescott, and I'm wondering why that's a bad thing because um, da- Dak Prescott is a really good quarterback. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, not elite-level arm talent. I'm going to get a little Mel Kuyper. I'm going to do this all, all podcast. Not elite arm talent, really good quarterback, smart guy in the pocket, can get out, row in the ball. Um, yeah, no, uh, Kellen Mond to me just – I think – He's he's got the tools where if he goes to the right spot, he can he can be a. We talk about projects. Um, that's a guy who can who can flourish in a in a system that that is capable of of coaching up a quarterback. I like Davis Mills, but Kellen Mond is my pick. You know, I'm I'm gonna go um, I'm gonna go Kyle Trask, uh, and and I I think it's it's just something about him. He's big, man. He's six five two forty. Um, he he just when you watched him and how electric he was. And I think when, you know, yes, you can put on the tape and find mistakes like any quarterback, but sometimes that's just feel for the game. And I feel like I'm just intrigued by him. I think more than the others. And I'm going to give you one more Jeff real quick guy, not on the list that you mentioned KJ Costello. Hmm. I, Oh, wow. Yeah. I I mean, he played for Stanford, had an injury, Mississippi state. Yeah. He ended up Mississippi state did not have a good touchdown to interception ratio, but he ended up with 64% completion. Yeah. Went to my high school. Shout out to your high school. Yeah. (laughs) I didn't know that. How about, and and he, no, he absolutely, I think is, is a guy who can make it at the next level. You know, it's funny. KJ Costello. I I actually, I, I don't hate, I would be cautious to look too much into the raw numbers there because he did play in a Mike Leach offense. Uh, and look, David Shaw, head coach at Stanford, is one of the most respected voices in all of football, both college and NFL. And 
not only is that, I guess, not a, not the greatest sign when you're talking about KJ Costello, who I'd like, and actually think has a chance to hang around if nothing else and be a backup in the NFL for a while. But it's part of the reason why I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic about Davis Mills. Now, when you talk about a guy like Davis Mills, you're talking about the ultimate project here. Okay. We're, we're talking about a guy who only ended up playing in about four games in his entire college career. Uh, very, very, very raw. But there's a lot of talks. McShay and Kuyper both you know, have told stories about when he was coming out, out of high school, the way David Shaw would react and say things like, you know, he's like he's a real one. Like this is this is this is a real deal. And he just never really got his opportunity partially because of covid. And look, when you only have to play four games as a college quarterback and there's still a high likelihood that you get drafted within the first, you know, 90 picks of the NFL draft. That's saying something about the amount of talent that you have. So I, I like Davis Mills a lot. I tend to agree with you, Scott. I think of that group, I think Kellen Mond is the guy to kind of look at. at and the thing that concerns me about Kellen Mond is just the consistency. You know, there'd be games where you're like, holy shit, this guy's going to be a top 10 pick. And then you'd have games where you go like, is there another quarterback on the roster that maybe you can, maybe you can throw him in there and see what he can do. You know, there, and, and it was never an in-between. There was no form of consistency, but the upside with Mond is up there. And I'll throw this out there too. I threw him in there at the end, but I really, really like Jamie Newman. And I think if Jamie Newman had, instead of opting out this year, you know, there's been a lot of talk about guys who have chosen to opt out and how it's going to affect their draft stock. And for the most part, the guys who have opted out have not been affected negatively Jamie Newman is the best case, you know, the best example of a guy who opted out and it absolutely destroyed his draft value. He was never going to be higher than like a second round pick, but if he's so accurate, so accurate stayed and he he did that at wake for at um, Vander or no, it was wake forest. And he had two really good NFL caliber wide receivers there at wake forest. Uh, one of the guys, Sage Surratt, who is probably going to be about third round draft pick this year, uh, is, is guy coming out. I, I think if Jamie Newman had gone and played at Georgia and not opted out, he got bad intel. And I think I think he's another guy who, again, late round flyer. He's accurate with the football. He's a good athlete. I'm a fan of uh, Jamie Newman there. But again, as like a second, I, 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 honestly, for Jamie Newman, it's probably going to be more like five. a fourth, probably yeah. going to be like a fourth rounder. Uh, but again, Gardner Minshew was a fourth rounder, right? I think there's some comps there with a guy like, uh, yeah, with Gardner Minshew and uh, Jamie Newman. The other guy, now, the other guy I'd throw out is Jacob Eason too. He's in that that fourth, fifth round category, I think. Jacob Eason got drafted by the Colts in like the fourth round last year. Yeah, that's what that's what I'm saying. He got oh, drafted okay. By, yeah, I thought you meant this year. I was like, no, no, um, no, no, no. I think you're looking at the wrong class. I'm talking about comps. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, and, and we'll see there. We'll, we'll see as, as it progresses. Uh, all right, enough quarterback talk. Let's get into some of the pass catchers and, and more specifically the wide receivers because we'll get into tight ends here in a little bit. This is a loaded, loaded class, back-to-back years with loaded wide receivers, and it's gotten me thinking a little bit here, and I, I kind of teased you both with this before we started recording. I think we're starting to see the beginning of a trend. I think the wide receiver draft is on a bit of a bubble, right? Just like the housing market bubble, just like any sort of these <laughs> expanding bubbles that we see in the stock market, cryptocurrency, any of this stuff where the more it kind of goes, the more likely it is to kind of crash. And 
we saw it happen with running backs in the past. Think of guys like Trent Richardson, right, who kind of burst the bubble. I think we're starting to get to a point now with wide receivers where you can get high-level, immediate impact talent at the wide receiver position in the second and sometimes even in the third round pretty consistently, almost as consistently as if you draft them in the first round. And I look, if I'm a Broncos fan, I love Jerry Judy. Let's get him a good quarterback. Let's see what he can do now in year two, right? If you're a Raiders fan, Henry Ruggs, we saw flashes of incredible plays, right? He had that crazy touchdown at that last, I forget who they were playing. I think it might've been the Dolphins. That last second touchdown we saw earlier in, this, you know, earlier in the year, last season, uh, C.D. Lamb we saw flashes of, though that's not a great position, Jalen Rager. But the fifth wide receiver taken in the first round last year ended up being by far the best in Justin Jefferson. So are we on this trajectory? Am I, am I right in this? I feel very strongly that within the next five years, the idea of drafting a wide receiver in the top 10, top 15, is going to sound seem asinine, especially – after what we see in the Super Bowl every single year, it seems like, which is that offensive line and defensive line are what are going to win you the big games. You know, I think you're wrong. And I'm going to tell you why. I think that what we're seeing is we all know this is a, this is a passing league uh, running. Like you're saying wins in the playoffs and it takes an elite guy. And I think we have one this year, Najee Harris, who we'll get to. But I also think that, when you have so many wide receivers on the field, right? Most teams have three on the field on average in it, in it on a down. And you have guys who can absolutely change the game. Like you're saying that you drafted in the first round, five of them. And I think they all hit one way or another. You know, I really think they did. Um, you can say less than, you know, maybe, maybe three out of five, but I think four out of five at minimum. And now you're looking at guys in this year and it's like, wow, is that hit percentage so high? And to your point, Jeff, yes. Like maybe it gets so distilled down where it's like, you know what? All of them are hitting through the first 10 guys that are drafted. But the thing is, is okay. Then, then, you know, every, uh, what would that mean? Nine years. If you know, I'm just thinking every team has to draft three of them in, in a 10 year span in order to get three elite guys in the field, which is what happens. So I guess what I'm getting at is I think that, the wide receivers are just so talented coming out right now. You, you buy when it, when it's, when it's going or I know you say you buy when it's low, I guess, trying to compare, but at the same point, when you see this, this wave coming and you know, it's coming here for, you know, it came last year, it's going to come this year and, and we'll see about next year. But while you're riding high, you surf that wave, you don't wait, you jump on it. And I think this is another wave from last year. I think a lot of teams that missed out last year will jump in and there's a possibility and a hope for a guy like me, Honestly, as a Bronco fan, if we got Devonta Smith, are you kidding me? Like, are, are you kidding me? You have a great receiving receiver? core. <laughs> I know. I just, the rich want to get richer. But anyway, um, I <laughs> just do, think that. But that's part of the problem, right? That's why yeah. the housing market crashed, <laughs> like using the analogy. Yeah. And, and I guess I, I look at it as though, you know, if you are Cincinnati, right, and you can go out and get Jamar Chase. You know, Cincinnati is a great example. They took Joe Burrow first overall last year, and then they took T. Higgins at the start of the second round, you know, as well in, in the 2020 draft. Would you rather go out and get Jamar Chase or Penny Sewell? Like, to me, it, it, it's a very obvious choice. You go and you get Penny Sewell. You pick at the top of the second round again, and then you draft uh, Rashad Bateman, a 2-2 Atwell, a Kadarius Toney. Right, you go out and get a guy who can still add value immediately. 
but you're shoring up a much more important the offensive line. Scotty, where do you fall on this? I'm with you. Um, <clears throat> and there's a couple guys I have on my list, uh, you know, that, that fit that bill, but yeah, I, the value thing is, is where you got to hit. Uh, we know guys like Jamar Chase, uh, I think particularly are going to be stars in the NFL. Um, but the, the same argument we have nowadays about, uh, about running back upside, uh, what's, what's the last running back you saw taken super high? Was it, it was gotta be Saquon in, uh, in, uh, 2018. I mean, I'm sorry. Um, at number two, and it doesn't make logical sense from a business standpoint to take a running back at high when the, the shelf life is so low. Um, <clears throat> and we're starting to see the same sort of thing with running back or uh, wide receivers. Uh, it's an embarrassment of, of riches in, in that category. There's a lot of guys who can do a lot of things. Uh, and that's a spot that you need depth at. Uh, and, and that's, that's the big issue. Uh, so taking a star guy and, and needing him to, to produce at a super high level, uh, like in the last few years, like a, uh, a, a Chad Johnson or, a, or a guy, a Julio Jones, uh, elite guys like that, Devonte Adams. Um, it doesn't, doesn't make a whole lot of business sense to spend a, a, a cap, a draft capital pick on, on a guy that high. Um, the value is where it's at when you're, when you're talking about depth. So, um, that's... Yeah, and that's that's kind of how I view it too. I mean, don't get me wrong, Vita, I'm with you. I mean, I think every team would love to see Devontae Smith on their team or Jalen Waddle, right? Like, I think we all do. Like, <laughs> like it, we all want to be in that spot. But it, you know, yeah, and not the... only that, like the draft last year kind of shows us that the NFL is starting to go in that direction. Like, we went into last year's draft thinking there could be three wide receivers taken in the first ten picks. There wasn't a single top ten wide receiver taken. Right. And you can just go you can go through the list of guys taken in the first round that you know you, you don't that didn't pan out, right? Your your John Rosses of your world of the world, right? Even a guy like Marquise Brown. You know, we've seen some flashes from Marquise Brown, but not what well, we all thought we were gonna see out of him. I'm looking forward well, yeah. to well and and you make a good point, but at the same time, I think when you see the the wave again that happened last year and the talent that we all knew was there. I mean, I feel the same way about this wide receiver class. Do you guys? I, I think that's the question. Do you think that this top five is as talented as last year's top five? I, th I think it's not just as talented. I think it's better. I think the whole draft class is better. But that also is, but that being said, that also means that you can get more value with a wide receiver taken in the second or third round than spending the asset, especially where it's a draft where, like, all right, it's, the cornerbacks, for example, like there's three or four cornerbacks at the top of the draft that are really, really good. And then it falls off a lot, right? You know, you can get like Asante Samuel Jr. kind of early in the second round. But if you, if you're the Eagles, if you're the Giants, like there's a lot of people that have Jalen Waddle going to the Giants. That to me would be a mistake. If you're the Giants, you take Patrick Sertan or Caleb Fairley yep. or JC Horn, you know, even Trevor Moeg, like you take one of, or Trevon Moeg, you take one of those guys ahead of Jalen Waddle because you just signed Kenny Galladay. You have Sterling Shepard there. You have Darius Slayton. You know, you have Evan Ingram and Saquon Barkley's coming back. You don't need another mouth to feed when you can only feed so many mouths to begin with. Go get a position of need that can come in and immediately help your team win rather than just accumulating as many. Like, look at what the Cowboys did. The Cowboys drafted CeeDee Lamb out of spite. I don't care what anybody says. They drafted CeeDee Lamb so the Eagles couldn't draft him last year. 
And how did that work out? We saw flashes of how incredible CeeDee Lamb could be. Yeah. But if CeeDee Lamb had been playing with Carson Wentz instead of Jalen Rager, we probably would be talking about a totally different guy. Carson Wentz might still be an Eagle. But when you draft and you already have, uh, you know, Amari Cooper on the outside, or Michael Gallup on the outside, you don't need CD Lamb. But they did it because it's so enticing to go draft this incredible playmaker. And it ultimately, like, you, the games aren't won and lost on the outside, and the Super Bowl proved that. Um, I do want to get – it's a fascinating conversation and something we'll monitor here moving forward. But I do want to get into some of the wide receivers here. So, Vito, you kind of said the top five guys – this year to me it's top three and then there's a bit of a drop and then the rest of it is a little more muddied so i want to start with just those top three guys jamar chase Devonte smith and jalen waddle make the case for one of those guys going within let's say the top seven to detroit right so detroit being the the, the first team or maybe the last team of the top seven to potentially draft a wide receiver which of those guys would you be willing to take there um, you know, if I have to pick one, fuck, that's tough. I, I think I'm going with uh, with Jalen Waddle, and I wow. can't. Yeah, right. Uh, that even surprised me because Jamar Chase, I think, is um, just such an elite talent. He's bigger, um, but even Devonta Smith. I mean, he, the length on him and that receipt. Like, you know how they, when when people talk about tight ends, right? They say, "Oh, look at that receiving radius. You can throw it within, you know, within a wide range of them, and they'll make the catch." Devonta Smith is like that, and and man, this is hard. I can't believe I'm flip flopping here, but my gut was Waddle, and I'm gonna stick with it. And and I can't even give you a good reason, but you know what? I'm fucking sticking with it. What do you think, Scott? That's <clears throat> that's interesting because I've. Uh, Jeff, you might be happy to know that I have Jalen Waddle going to the Eagles <clears throat> at 12. Um, but I I think it's Jamar Chase. Like, he's head and shoulders above a couple of those guys. And here's another guy who we talked about uh, just a few minutes ago uh, who opted out this year because of, the, uh, because of COVID um, and is not at all uh, seeing any, any ill effects of that. Uh, decision. So uh, Jamar Chase has all the the intangibles. I mean, he's he's a, a great hands, um, just a, just an elite level receiver in college, uh, especially with with Joe Burrow throwing him the ball. Uh, you know, not a huge guy, but big enough. I six feet, two hundred one pounds, and he plays way bigger than he is. Um, just an elite level talent. I think it's got to be Jamar Chase, and and then to me that there's there's the drop off after that. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm right on board with you there, Scotty. I think Jamar Chase is the pick there if you're gonna take a quarter, if you're gonna take a wide receiver there in the top like seven-ish picks. Um, I will say I think Devontae Smith ends up dropping. And I think whoever ends up taking them there in that mid first round, I hope it's the Eagles. I hope he's there at 12. Uh, and if he is, take him and don't think back. I the the speed with Jalen Waddle is great. And you know what's awesome about Jalen Waddle, Vito, is that he's not, you know, he's not Henry Ruggs, right? Where Henry Ruggs was this pure or John Ross, right? He's not this pure deep threat guy. It's his speed within cuts. It's his speed while running routes. He, mm -hmm. It's it's the speed within actions that directly reflect how he plays yeah. the game. Right? It's what right. sets precision from everybody it's, else. Yeah, exactly. The precision and the the agility is what what separates them. 
Yeah. And, and, and it's, it's honestly, it's remarkable watching some of his tape. I was actually watching some of his, some of his tape just a couple of days ago. And I was just floored, just like mm-hmm. the way he, the speed in and out of his, his routes, uh, you know, the stuff he can do after the catch, you know, when he gets the ball in his hands, he, he's gone. Now I'm, st- I'm not super worried about the injury. Uh, you know, he is coming off of a broken ankle. It was pretty bad. And we saw how banged up he was in the national championship game. But by the time the season rolls around, I'm definitely not going to be as worried about him uh, as I would be, let's say, you know, like, like right now, or I was during the national championship game. Devonte Smith to me is the guy who I think we're all going to kind of sleep on and a team's going to pick up and he's just going to be an immediate stud. I, I really do think that highly of Devonte Smith and, and it's, it's the dog within him. You know, he's got, he's kind of like a, if you could combine all of the Alabama wide receivers from the last couple of years into one guy combine Henry Ruggs, Jerry Judy, and Jalen Waddle into one smaller package. And you get Devonte Smith, you get a burner, you get a tough, nasty guy. You get an elite level route runner. You get a shorthanded guy and his catch radius. Like you were saying, like is off the charts. I still think Jamar chase is he's the, he's the third, you know, the purebred, right. That's, that's kind of the guy that we're, we're talking about here. And I, I hate the the lazy like, oh, they're all, you know, he's just the next Tyreek Hill. Like there's not going to be another Tyreek Hill, but he could be the first Jamar Chase. And I think that's kind of why I'm so high on Jamar Chase, because I think he's just that uniquely special of a talent. But after the top three, it kind of feels a little bit like open season where you have a few guys who are kind of similar, can do similar things. But right now, Elijah Moore out of Ole Miss has taken a big jump in a lot of mock drafts. Uh, Kadarius Tony is a similar player to Elijah Moore, kind of a all-around skill guy. So I want to break this down into your casual, like not casual, your consensus, like pass-catching guys, right? You're going over the middle, your quote-unquote X wide receiver, wide receiver, and then your Z guys who are going to be the ones that you're sending in motion. You're going to do jet sweeps with. You're going to use in the running game and bubble screen action. So for your Z guys, right, we're talking about Elijah Moore, Kadarius Tony, Tutu Atwell. Uh, uh, Amari Rogers, Rondell Moore, and you can even add at the bottom there, Demetric Felton out of UCLA. Is there a single guy? And I think for most people, it's Elijah Moore. But if you're targeting somebody like that, a smaller, quick, kind of backfield presence kind of player, who is the guy that jumps out of you? Uh, jumps out to you on that list? Rondell Moore, right away. Yeah, Rondell Moore, Rondell Moore, watching him at Purdue and seeing what he's done to Big Ten defenses and, and really Big Ten special teams, right? He's a guy who's going to make a difference in two phases of the game. Um, and, and I think coming out here, he's really the only guy on the list that's a, that's a sophomore technically, right? And um, he, he's smaller, but he, he still has some weight. Like, think about this. He's 5'9", but he weighs more than Devonta Smith. I mean, yeah. he, he doesn't, he's strong. The dude has muscle and he's, he's a bulldog, he's man. Yeah. And he's like you're saying, he's a tough guy. I think he's the guy who you want. You can handle the ball off in the backfield. You can, you can jet sweep him. You can have long crossing routes to him and then you can just send him deep. And I think he's the guy who, if I'm drafting and want that kind of player, that's what I'm getting in the late first round. Yeah. I like that. Um, I, one guy I throw in that wasn't on the, the list you just threw out is, uh, is, Anthony Schwartz, who's a wide receiver from uh, from Auburn. Auburn, yeah. He's he's an absolute burner, but he does a lot of stuff in the backfield with motions like that. Uh, kind of like the Robert Woods type receiver. 
um, where you can hit him out of the slot, but he, he runs a lot of those jet pegs for you. Yeah. Um, he's, he's an Olympic sprinter. Um, so you want to talk Tyree kill. He's got a lot of precision out in his routes too. He's a great route runner and, uh, and does a lot of stuff, uh, on, on both sides of the field. I love that pick. Uh, I, yeah, I didn't have him all on my list though. He is, he is absolutely a name to, to remember here. He's probably going to be about mid second rounder, Anthony Schwartz out of Auburn. And it's tough to tell, especially recently when Bo Nix is your quarterback at Auburn. Uh, you know, we saw they end up moving on from Gus Melzon. Like there's a lot of stuff going on there at Auburn. So it's kind of tough to get a, a pure read on it. Same thing with Rondell Moore. I mean, you know, you don't really feel great about any of the quarterbacks he's played with. And yet two years ago, he's one of the Belindikoff finalists. So we're talking about two guys who are explosive athletes. I still have, I think, Elijah Moore and Kadarius Tony at the top right there. Both of them have shown true elite athleticism. Uh, Kadarius Tony was part-time running back, part-time wide receiver for Florida. So if you're looking for a specific gadget kind of guy, I think Kadarius Tony is someone that you really should think about targeting somewhere in the late first round, early second round. I think he'll most likely be there in the early second round, just based off of how wide receivers have been drafted over the last couple of years. Now, if someone falls in love with him, similar to like Jalen Rager last year with the Eagles, where it's like everyone had Jalen Rager mocked as a second round draft pick two, three days before the draft, his name starts surging up. People start talking about him more. And it's because the team had targeted him, the Eagles, and they wanted to go out and get Jalen Rager. Um, I love both of those guys. I will, I'll add this too. Tutu Outwell out of Louisville is a burner, great hands, and again, played on a really mediocre team that dominated the running game. And it's the same argument you can make for Rondell Moore because I love Rondell Moore, and I think he's going to be a steal for somewhere in the third round. There's some durability concerns with Rondell Moore, but all in all, I mean – his I, I sent you guys two screenshots a few weeks ago of Rondell Moore flat-footed at his pro day before he was doing his vertical, and then I stopped the video when he was at his apex. And you could fit two Rondell Moores on top of each other. That's how high it looked like he jumped off the ground. Because you're right, he is, he is small. He is only 5'9". Um, but Tutu Atwell to me is a guy, talk about just a thoroughbred slot receiver. Right. You're, I look at him and I see, you know, up, I see peak Nelson Aguilar, you know, the best version of Nelly that we've seen. I, that's what I see out of Tutu Atwell. I don't know exactly what the best spot would be for him. Maybe a place like Green Bay at the end of the first round could be a fun fit. Give a little bit of an inside option outside of Devontae Par, or Devontae Smith. Uh, not Devontae. There's so, too many Devontae's. Devontae uh, Adams. Devonte Adams, thank you, Jesus. When did Devonte become such a popular name? It's a great just name. Two, I'm just two of the best receivers we've seen in the last year. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I actually, man. I actually like a guy on the opposite side of the ball there at Louisville in uh, in Des and uh, <clears throat> excuse me, Des Fitzpatrick. Well, we'll uh, get there next week when we talk about defensive players. There's no, no, no. Don't I mean, he's a wide receiver. He's a wide receiver. I'm saying oh, on the, the other side of, side of the ball. No, no, no. On the opposite side of the line, <clears throat> who does a lot of stuff. Uh, six one and a half. 208, but he burns, man. He's got 16.8 per uh, last year and 19.4 the year uh, the year before that. He's great out of the backfield. He does a lot of screens Oof. and slot stuff. So, yeah. Well, let's uh, let's but let's wrap up the wide receivers here and let's talk about more of your position, your possession wide receivers, your X's, as they're referred to, right? The the number one outside of that kind of top tier guys is Terrace Marshall, uh, wide receiver out of LSU. Talk about catch radius. This dude can catch anything within like six feet of him. It's it's absolutely ridiculous. 
played with high level talent around him. Again, had a really down, had didn't, he didn't have that bad of a year, but you lose Joe Burrow. You're coming off of a national championship. There's no Jamar chase. There's no Clyde Edwards, Elaire, you know, and that quarterback position for them with miles Brennan going down early with the abdomen issue, it was just all over the place. We didn't know who was going to be, you know, playing quarterback for the Tigers week in, week out. I love Terrace Marshall. I think Mel Kuyper is on like his fourth or fifth mock draft in every single one. He has him going to the Ravens at 20, was it 27, 28, somewhere in that ballpark. Uh, I think that would be Get Lamar a talent. Yeah. I think that would be a great spot for him to land. Just giving, especially you talk about Marquise Brown on the outside, gives him a little bit of a nice compliment piece in that wide receiving core. But outside of Marshall, you also have, uh, Rashad Bateman, uh, Deami Brown, and uh, Tylen Wallace, who's wide receiver. And you can put Cade Johnson in there as well, Sage Surratt from Wake Forest. Uh, but those are kind of the guys I'm looking at. I also forgot to mention, I'm a big fan of Amari Rogers out of Clemson. Uh, he's been kind of banged up throughout a lot of his career, but when he's been healthy, he's been really, really good. Dangerous punt returner as well as one of those kind of speed gadget guys. But of the possession guys – for me, I like Terrace Marshall. I'm really, really starting to fall in love with Rashad Bateman out of Minnesota. I've been a big Sage Surratt fan out of uh, Wake Forest now for a few years, though he seems to be consistently sliding in drafts, so maybe a better late-round flyer. And as far as late, I mean like third round because that's just when wide receivers – that's late for wide receivers, especially this year. Uh, of those kind of possession receivers, go up and get the ball, big body, big athleticism – Who's your number one pick real quick? And then we'll switch over to the running backs and tight ends. My guy is Sage Sherratt. I got to say, that's who I'm going with. I, I really? really think that a lot of it's just kind of um, almost he's been doing it for a while and, and, and it kind of loses that off factor. But I got to say when, when I was watching some of that possession tape, like you're talking about, and I, I don't know if it's just that Wake Forest or, or whatever it was, but you know, he ended up making a lot of contested catches and um that's what I love about him. That's what you're going to face in the NFL. So, so I'd go Sage Sherratt. I would go Rashad Bateman. Uh, just, you know, he just demolished one of the best secondaries I've ever seen at Penn state, like single-handedly demolished them um, yeah. in that game that, uh, that they beat us two years ago. Uh, and he's just got elite level talent that I think if he had a, a quarterback that could really sling the ball to him, uh, could could make a real difference in the league. Um, <clears throat> the other sleeper I love out of that is is uh, a wide receiver from Tennessee, Josh Fitzpatrick, who beat consistently uh, guys. Or I'm sorry, um, Josh Palmer. Um, mixing my notes up, Josh Palmer out of Tennessee, who consistently beat guys uh, by the name of uh, J.C. Horn and Patrick Sertan uh, in the SEC, uh, consistently just going up and, and winning balls and beating them. Uh, beating him deep so yeah no and and that's a great point scott when you're evaluating wide receivers think about the guys that are going up against it's a big reason why i'm a huge fan of jamar chase you know not only is jamar chase going up against Derek stingley jr in practice every single day but he's also going up against patrick sertan and made he made patrick sertan look stupid in that lsu alabama matchup last year uh but going to this question in particular i do think terrace marshall is the guy to take if you're going to take one of these guys, Rashad Bateman would be a very, very close second for me. Uh, but De'Ami Brown, you know, and we're going to get into the running backs here in a second. 
UNC was a ground and pound kind of game, but he played with Sam Howell, who's going to be more than likely a top five pick, top 10 pick next year in the draft. He's him and Keaton Slovis are kind of going back and forth as to your highest level prospects at the quarterback position. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see how that whole thing kind of ends up playing out next year. Obviously, there's a whole other college football season that needs to be played. I like De'Ami Brown a lot. Uh, just a really, really solid possession wide receiver, a guy who can come in, I think will be a five, six-year pro in the NFL at his absolute minimum. And I guess I'll throw in, too, I like Tylen Wallace out of Oklahoma State. Um, Oklahoma State, you know, we're talking about the air raid, but that Oklahoma State team specifically behind Chuba Hubbard, you know, they they were running the ball a lot. And go back two years ago and watch some of his film when Chuba was really cooking and was putting up an insane running year for, for the, the pokies out there in Oklahoma, in Oklahoma. Um, that's when he really seemed to thrive. And the big thing with the Oklahoma state team is that they lost a lot on the offensive line last year or going into this year. So there wasn't a whole lot of time for him to be the difference maker. I think he can be, I like him as a late second round pick if a team can kind of scoop him up. All right, let's take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to knock off running backs, tight ends, and the offensive linemen getting you ready here for the NFL draft in just a couple weeks. So hang tight and we'll be right back in a second. All right, now it's time to get into the ground and pound. My favorite part of football, the running game. It's not everybody's favorite. It's a little less flashy, but look, running the ball, we've, we've seen it now year in and year out. Teams that can run the ball are the teams that are going to win games, especially in December, January, and even up until February. You know, the Super Bowl this year is, again, proof of that. Leonard Fournette was a big reason as to why Tampa Bay was uh, able to take that run. And the fact that Lenny. Clyde, Clyde <laughs> Edwards-Elair did not show up in the way that we thought also had a bit of an impact. So this Watch year's draft. A breakout season for him, though. Absolutely. Check out fantasy fantasy value right there. We'll have a fantasy <laughs> pod coming out here shortly after the draft. Once we know the rosters are kind of set a little more, we'll set out our first fantasy rankings of the year. For those of you who don't know, the three of us are very big into fantasy football. So we're going to make sure that we get you guys covered as well as all of your bets. And uh, for all you degenerates out there, like my man Vito, uh, we're at, going with the running back position here right, at the top. It's kind of a two-horse race for your top two guys. Najee Harris, Travis Etienne. Who would you be willing to take? Let's say the Pittsburgh Steelers at 24 seem to be the concisest first-round running back destination. Would you rather put your horses behind Najee Harris or Travis Etienne? Najee Harris is based off of, I, I think, what we've seen out of Derrick Henry and out of just a big running backs like this, that you're like, holy crap, this guy's 6'2", 230. You know, he could play defensive end and probably be very, very good. And that's where you're like, okay, this guy, this guy, uh, you know, he's an athlete and he's going to attack linebackers. And if you have someone like that, that that sounds like a Pittsburgh Steeler, right? Like that, that gives you that Jerome Bettis feel. And you're like, all right, this, this guy belongs there. So that's my take. Yeah. All right. I mean, if you're grading running backs, I think probably at a pro day or, or if they did do the combine this year, I think Etienne would have graded higher just as a pure running back. Um, and he can catch the ball out of the backfield as well, but so can Najee Harris. I think mm -hmm. Najee Harris is <clears throat> for, for his size and the, the Derrick Henry comp is, is spot on Vito. Um, I, I love that. I, I, he's, that's the running back that 
especially for Pittsburgh at uh, 24, is that's the the move I think. Najee Harris is is a monster, and as long as he stays healthy, like Derrick Henry has, uh, and, and that's that's going to be a, a force to be reckoned with on <laughs> coming out of the backfield. Yeah, I, I think it's a dangerous game, similar to like when people compare anybody to Cam Newton. It's like there's there's no other quarterback that looks like Cam Newton. Right. There's no other running back that looks like Derrick Henry, right? So I get where you're coming from. But, I look I look at Marshawn, I, I look at him as as similar to Marshawn Lynch when he was coming out of Cal, right? Early, yet not quite like heavier the version that we remember the last couple of years with Marshawn Lynch. I'm thinking Bills about version. But Bills, right? The oh, Buffalo Bills wow. version of Marshawn oh, Lynch. Now you're talking my language. Here we go. That is what I see when I see Najee Harris. And even Pretty still, mode. <laughs> you know, Marshawn Lynch wasn't the great, the greatest catching the ball in the backfield. Najee Harris can catch the ball really, really well out of the backfield. I think in that same vein, if Buffalo can get their hands on Najee Harris, I think it's a home run because you're talking oh about a team that – doesn't have too many weaknesses and can kind of afford the luxury of drafting a running back in the first round. I think Najee Harris could be, I, I, to me, that is the pick. I love Travis Etienne. There's an incredible stat about Etienne that he averaged four yards a carry after contact. Wow. So after oh. Travis Etienne made contact with the defender, he still averaged four yards a carry afterwards. That's, so That's Saquon, Mike. So again, similar wow. to like Justin Fields, I think the needle has moved a little too far in the opposite direction as far as people being a little down on ETN. But he did go back to Clemson for his senior year, so he's got a little more, a little less tread on the tires, wore it down a little more. Uh, I think Najee Harris, especially at Alabama, where they you know platoon a lot of running backs, he wasn't a a three year starter getting thirty handoffs a game. I think Najee Harris is the pick, but I think ETN kind of falls right underneath him now. There's a perceived, you know, shelf after those two that I don't think is as big as many people are alluding to. A lot of people think the two running backs out of UNC, Javante Williams and Michael Carter. I think Javante Williams is the better back. I've watched a lot of his tape and holy shit, I have fallen in love with that dude. I think if you can get him in that mid second round, he can talk about a guy who can do a little bit of everything. He's like Najee Harris light. He's not quite the athlete that Najee Harris is, but man, does he run hard. He runs hard. He's quick. He's fast with his cuts inside and out. He can catch the ball, not as well as Michael Carter out of the backfield. Michael Carter was a little more up there receiving back, but Javante Williams can really do a little bit of everything. I think, I don't know where he ends up going. I would guess somewhere mid second round. I think he's an absolute home run there. Is there a guy in that next tier of running backs, Javante Williams, Michael Carter, Chuba Hubbard, uh, Puka Williams, Trey Sermon, Jarrett Patterson, any of those names jumping out to you guys? You know, for me, I, I love that you brought up the UNC dual head monster because I have a couple stats that I'd love to share with you guys. First of all, to your point, I think everyone perceives Michael Carter overall as a better pass catcher, but they both had 25 receptions last year. And Javante Adams actually had more yards just by 40 about, but still. And Michael Carter averaged eight uh, yards a carry. Javante Adams averaged 7.3 and anyone who follows football knows those are astounding numbers. Um, that that's incredible. I, and I think to your point, Javante Adams and his nose for the end zone, he almost had 20 touchdowns. I mean, he, he's just a guy who I think translates. So for me, that's the pick it's Javante Adams, but I also Williams. love Javon, Javante. Oh, sorry. Williams. Sorry. Javante Williams. But I also love Michael Carter. Yes. I got three guys that aren't those two that I, absolutely love 
uh, Jarrett Patterson out of Buffalo, who mm-hmm. is undersized, was under-recruited. Uh, he makes a lot of guys miss because of his size. Uh, and I think he's a really, really smart running back. Uh, he, he could be a threat. Um, I love the, uh, the, uh, uh, guy out of Virginia tech, Rashid Blacknell or Blackshear or Raheem Blackshear. That's his name. (laughs) Um, there's another guy who behind a great offensive line, uh, at Virginia tech could make guys miss, uh, and another smart patient runner, uh, goes North to South, but, uh, but he's, he's got a lot of breakout speed on the outside too. That is sneaky. Um, and then the other guy I like is, uh, is Kenneth Gainwell out of Memphis. Um, again, another smaller back, but uh, good pass catcher out of the backfield. Um, he's a, a bit undersized. Uh, he kind of reminds me of, uh, of the Gus bus out in, uh, in uh, Baltimore. Baltimore. Well, I guess he's not with <clears throat> Baltimore, but um uh, yeah, uh, Kenneth Gainwell is another one for me that uh, yeah, that fits similar that similar to Antonio Gibson. You know, a lot of people yeah. kind of question Antonio Gibson's size out of Memphis last year, and and he turned out to be uh, you know one hell of a player there for the Washington football team. Uh, I'm kind of with you guys all all over. I think Javante Williams is the clear cut number three, just in my personal rankings. But you know, two uh, Big Twelve guys that you know a lot of Big Twelve running backs don't get the love that that they frankly deserve. And that is Chuba Hubbard and Puka Williams, who both had a bit of a step back this year. Chuba Hubbard, just a year removed from leading the country in rushing back in 2019. Remember, too, he had that really weird and kind of bizarre situation with Mike Gundy and the OAN shirt. And, you know, he was a basically helped change the narrative when we're talking about, you know, Mike Gundy's a guy who's pretty set in his ways. And when you get Mike Gundy to come out and apologize and admit he was wrong, that he needs to do better, like it says a lot about you as a person. And Chuba Hubbard, you know, played up in Canada. He's a recruit from Canada, played in a Canadian football league when he was in high school. Uh, You know, again, a guy who took a lot of carries at Oklahoma State. But I do think if a team is willing to take a chance on him, he can be a really, really good player. Uh, I, I would also add Puka Williams out of Kansas. You know, we don't talk about a lot of great players coming out of Kansas, but he's someone who has shown flashes, was one of the projected top running backs in the country over the last two years, did it in 2019, did not have as good of a year, and then eventually ended up withdrawing from the season midway through 2020 and ultimately decided that he did not want to finish out the season, understandably so, because let's be honest, Kansas is always a dumpster fire there in the Big 12. So, uh, again, it's those top two guys at the top. Javante Williams in the middle there is kind of a third option, and then I think it kind of drops a little bit. I'm also with you, Scotty. Jarrett Patterson had seven rushing touchdowns in a game, or I think eight rushing touchdowns in a game, and actually got pulled. 400 yards, yeah. Got pulled right before he was about to score his ninth. And the coach actually, Lance, uh, Lance Leipold, actually ended up apologizing to him because he did not realize that the record was eight and that he had a chance to break the record. They pulled him off at the end of the season. He, he reminds me a lot of like Maurice Jones-Drew. Small, compact, but thick. He's like a bowling ball, uh, really quick in and out of cuts, can run some guys over even though he's a little bit undersized. Yeah. I love Jarrett Patterson there in like the third or fourth round. All right, let's move on to the tight ends, which again – there's a very, very clear number one up at the top. And then just a couple other guys that we might see go in the third, fourth, maybe the second round, depending on where they kind of end up falling. Kyle Pitts being the clear cut number one here. Where do you see being the ultimate landing spot there for Kyle Pitts going presumably within the top, you know, seven picks at the latest? 
So I have a big trade in the draft that I think is going to happen to go up and get Kyle Pitts. At number seven, the Detroit Lions trade back to the New England Patriots who draft Kyle Pitts. Well, 13 personnel, three tight ends who can catch the ball, Kyle Pitts, Bill Belichick, Gronk number two. Let's do it. That is an absolutely horrific take, and I don't (laughs) want to discuss it any further. Vito, where do you see Kyle Pitts going? with? Uh, He's going number four. Right, he's going number four. He's going to the Falcons. He's a first position player taken, I I believe. I mean, uh, Scott, I just don't think he's going to last that long. I think he's too talented of a guy like we talked about. I think, you know, he might be the guy who's all in all the most talented at his position in this draft. Um, I I think he's probably number two or three overall, like on the big board. Um, But either way, he's got to be the guy for the Falcons. I mean, think about this. You have Julio Jones. And you have Calvin Ridley, and then you add in Kyle Pitts, and then I don't even care if Matt Ryan's forty. Yeah, you're you're going to be fine. So mm-hmm. that's where I think you you go. And think about this too. Think about how Arthur Smith liked to use Johnu Smith. You know, and I think Arthur Smith, now the head coach of the Atlanta Falcons, is the offensive coordinator in Tennessee for the last couple of years. I think they can get really creative with how they use Kyle Pitts. Kyle Pitts is, is the definition of a hybrid between a tight end and a wide receiver. He's just a pass catcher. I look at that four or five spot being Penny Sewell and Kyle Pitts in either order. You know, if you're the Bengals and Kyle Pitts is there, I think you take Kyle Pitts if he's, if, and because I think Penny Sewell could go to Atlanta really? and that would also be an awesome pick for Atlanta. Yeah. You know, you have to protect your your aging quarterback, especially if you're anticipating coming in and winning right away. Which, by the way, Atlanta's the team of the, at the top of the draft there. You know, four and twelve last year, they're the team that's most likely to make a jump and actually try to make a, a playoff run next year. And I think adding someone like Penny Sewell would help a lot. Kyle Pitts in Atlanta's offense would be terrifying. I would just love to see Joe Burrow with a weapon like Kyle Pitts. You know, they have T. Higgins on the outside, they have Autumn Tate, they have Joe Mixon. The one thing that's missing from that offense in Cincinnati is an elite tight end. And adding a guy like Kyle Pitts to that Bengals roster would be terrifying. And I'd yeah. be all for it. Would also, also have lame new uniforms. <laughs> He's also Thanks. first tight end top to finish in top 10 in Heisman voting since 1977. If that wow. gives you an idea of the talent that he showed at the college level who was who was the last tight end do you have it in front of you i'm i, I research and development will be on it once <laughs> i i'm kellen I'm winslow <laughs> i was gonna say mike dicka but i think dicka might have even been in the NFL, older it, it, yeah yeah I, I don't know that that there you go that's a that's some bar trivia for you here on the read option uh i i think kyle pitts i'd love to see him in miami too talk about that 12 personnel him and mike gasicki with tua talk about adding yeah, weapons they but have that's just wide two receivers. pass catchers uh, that's two pass catching tight ends. Usually when you do that 12 personnel, you got one guy who's a good, uh, an adept blocker and another guy who's a great receiver. Don't need They're to, both... but yeah. But that's what you see most of the time. If you're getting that, that 12 personnel, that's what the, the Patriots are doing right now with, with Hunter Henry and Johnny Smith. Um, but they're going to use but... both of them as pass catchers is, is the point. Uh, right. Vito, you're on mute, my friend. Well, that makes a difference. Um, anyway, the number three, the last person in 1977 who was a tight end in the top 10 was actually number three, and it was Ken McAfee from Notre oh, Dame. And he had, Ken. he had 54 yeah. receptions, 797 yards. So that's a 15 yards uh, 
per average catch and six touchdowns. Pretty, pretty goddamn impressive. That's, that's pretty impressive. Mitch McAfee, that's what they called him. And in fifth place was a Notre Dame defensive lineman. So uh, what a year for Notre Dame in 77. Yeah, Notre Dame fans are still pining for 1977 all over again. Yeah, uh, Montana. Yeah, you know, I again, I don't think he lasts after I, I no later than six. Uh, and even with Detroit, you you know, you have you have a tight end there in Detroit that TJ Hawkinson that you feel pretty good about. Same thing with Miami. I think if you're Miami, you would probably go after Jamar Chase there at six. Um, but if Kyle Pitts is there and he's at the top of your board, you, you don't say no to it. The other tight ends here that are are at least worth mentioning. There's three. I think really like two and a half in the last one being a, a ironically a Notre Dame tight end uh, Hunter long out of Boston college. If you watched any Boston college this year, the dude jumped off the screen. He's not the fastest, but he is the strongest and he's the biggest. So I'm not sure exactly how a team would use him. I would think kind of similar to how we saw John U. Smith used just this past year. You're going to use him a lot in the red zone. You're going to use him a lot in your blocking scheme but just a really great route runner with a really sure set of hands. A guy can do some stuff in the red zone. Uh, and then a guy, Penn State guy, here with my Penn State boys, Pat Fryermuth. Did I say that right? Fryermuth? Fryermuth, my boy. Fryermuth. So. Projected a third, maybe fourth rounder. Biases aside, and the last one being Tommy Tremble, the uh, tight end out of Notre Dame. Of those three guys, are you again, allegiances aside here, where are you going there as your second tight end off the board? I don't know if it's allegiance as a side, but I'm going for our youth. I, I got to yeah. tell you, I, I think it's also because he he's the guy when you talk about size, he plays right. Like a fast receiving tight end, but he's big. We all know that. And he, and he takes a hit when you look at it, he's the second heaviest guy in the class besides Tony um, Paul John, I think out of Virginia late rounder, he's six, seven, two sixty five. Besides that, you know, Fryermuth six six five two sixty. I mean, the dude's a beast, and and he doesn't but play he's fast. Like he That's yeah. what I'm saying. He doesn't play like two sixty. So I think when you look at an NFL tight end, right, you want a guy who, even if they're not the best blocker, they can throw their weight around, and they can also run routes and, and be that receiving threat. And I think that's him. Yeah, I think he's a he's a threat out of the twelve personnel. Pratt Fryermuth did everything at Penn state, including like fullback work in the backfield when we had some of that personnel out there. Um, <clears throat> I, I think to me, he's the second best of the, uh, of the tight end group. Um, Tommy Trumbull's right up there too, though. If you want a, a guy who can, he's not much of a pass catcher. Um, probably the least pass catcher of all these guys on the, on the list you mentioned, uh, of course, but um, you know, another great blocker out of, out of 2012, he played behind Cole Komet. And, and at Notre Dame um, in his freshman year. And, uh, <clears throat> and I think he's a steal really in a, in a, in a team that runs a lot of 12 personnel that um, has a, a decent receiving tight end already. Uh, Tommy yeah. Tremble out of Notre Dame, but Friar Meath to me is number two on the list. Yeah. I mean, I think you're both wrong. I think it's Hunter long. Um, you know, I, I get it. You guys are Penn state guys. You're going to rah, rah your boys and all that. I get it. I know. I noticed you subtle, you threw in a little subtle. We there, Scotty, I forgot that you played on the Penn state football team last I year. I did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2011 to 2016. Wait, you did just, too. Yeah. I did too. Wait, we, we, we were so good over that span. We yeah, I never are, saw the field. Right. Um, <laughs> Hunter, Hunter long is, is the choice here. And, and, Look, I, we're talking about a Boston College team that exceeded expectations first year under Jeff Halfley there out in in uh, up in Boston, and 
the thing is, guys, there were no other options on that Boston College team in the passing game and the running game. There was none. Hunter yeah, usually Long was a good running only, back. <laughs> Hunter Long was the only option offensively. He was the only threat, and yet he still put up great numbers from the tight end position. He still made big catches and big games. They were competitive with Clemson early in the year, and Hunter Long was a massive part of that. So when you're getting double teamed, triple teamed, because you are the only guy that teams, the defenses are afraid of, and yet you can still perform, it speaks very, very highly about your upside. Hunter Long is the pick there as the second tight end. Frymuth could be great. He could be an awesome, you know, second tight Will end be. on a team. Will be great, sure. Uh, but if you're looking for a guy who has the potential to be a legitimate number one starting tight end on a roster, it's Hunter Long after Kyle Pitts. All right, it's switching to the big uglies as we wrap up the podcast here. Offensive tackle, we're going to run through, and then we're going to hit our interior defensive lines after. Right now, and for – well, let me put it this way. For a lot of the draft, it felt like it was Penny Sewell and then a little bit of a drop-off, and then you had some of the other guys underneath him. And right now, it no longer feels that way. As teams are digging more and more into some of the tape behind it, it really feels like you have Penny Sewell, and then right after him is Rashawn Slater out of uh, Northwestern, who did a remarkable job against guys like Chase Young and Nick Bosa over his career at Northwestern. I still think Penny Sewell is the choice there. You don't see guys who weigh 300-plus pounds move the way that he does at his size and his weight. That just you, you don't see it, and he's got that nasty streak in him that I love. I still think Penny Sewell should be a top-five pick, and I think it will be a mistake if a team doesn't decide to draft him there. We saw the difference Tristan Wirfs make. We saw the difference that Jedrick Wills made this year. We saw the difference even Mekhi Becton made, giving Sam Darnold the only somewhat competent offensive lineman he'd ever had in his career with the New York Jets. Has anything persuaded you guys one way or the other to not have Penny Sewell at the top of your list when we're talking about offensive linemen? No, and I don't understand what this <clears> – he's, uh, like, sliding somehow in, in, in rankings while people are watching tape. I don't understand that. He's a generational talent to me. I don't, I don't know what, where that comes from. So, yeah, Penny Sewell is a clear-cut uh, number one uh, offensive tackle. Like, that is – it's not even close after that. Right. Uh, you got guys like Darisaw, right? At, like, and, uh, and, um, and Slater um, that are, that are in that second tier, but it's not even close. I mean, the, what he did mauling guys up front uh, at Oregon, just like NFL talent from day one. Uh, and, and so I don't understand the, the rhetoric around him right now. My, my whole thing is it, it's no longer about offensive linemen. Cause when you talk about him and you talk about pits, right. It's like, which are these guys better than Trevor Lawrence at their position? And once you get to that point, that's how you know you're talking to top five talent. And um, he is without a doubt, like you're saying, a top five talent. But what I do think is, is there are some guys here as we go down this list that have earned the right to be a high draft pick as well. And I think will fit in well, but I don't think any of them outshine Penny Sewell. I, I just don't see it. Yeah, I, I think from a talent standpoint, I think it's inarguable about what Penny Sewell's upside is. I think playing devil's advocate to try to show the other side of the argument is just that Penny Sewell is pretty raw. You know, he's only played X amount. You know, he has he's only played really, I guess, a year and a half's worth of football. Didn't he opted out of the last season? He still has some mechanical things that teams would like to see him work on and like to see him improve on. 
I still think you take him there at number five, especially if you're Cincinnati um, or, or frankly, or Miami or, or the Lions. Like, I don't see him getting out of the top 10. There's a chance that he might. You know, I think if the Falcons took him, it would be a great pick because, like, you, just, you can't put up – we saw it this year. You can have the greatest wide receiver, the greatest tight end, and the greatest quarterback in the game, and it doesn't matter if you can't block. Yeah. So investing in a guy like that, even if you have to coach him up a little bit, knowing the upside that he presents to me, it just doesn't make sense as to why you – if you're going to take a project and, – and even calling him a project I think is a little unfair because I think he's – I think he's more developed than what the the narrative around him has kind of started to become. I think you have to take Penny Sewell, but I get at least where some of the criticisms are born. I don't personally agree with them, but I understand where people are coming from. Rashawn Slater is the one to me where I think part of the reason why Penny Sewell is dropping in some drafts is because we saw it happen last year at the offensive line position, with the exception of Andrew Thomas, who ended up being the worst of the first round offensive linemen taken, who the Giants took number four overall. Rashawn Slater, Christian Darisau, uh, Tevin Jenkins out of Oklahoma State, Jalen Mayfield out of, Michi- out of Michigan. This is a deep offensive tackle class. It's a deep offensive line class. And when there's depth, then the question of value always starts to get mixed into it, right? Even like later round flyers, guys like Walker Little out of Stanford, that can decrease the value of your top first, second round draft pick kind of guys. I still think you take Penny Sewell at the top of the draft if, if he's there and you don't need a quarterback. Uh, you know, San Francisco doesn't need one. Obviously, they just signed Trent Williams. I would expect him to go off the board within the top seven picks, but Rashawn Slater deserves a lot of credit. And I think a lot of this isn't even as much the slander against Penny Sewell, but rather the respect that people are starting to show Rashawn Slater, which is we're starting to see a guy who has gone up against some of the premier pass rushers in all of college football over the last three years. He also opted out this past season and we saw how he, held up against them and more often than not he was the one winning those battles and he helped lead northwestern to be a pretty damn good team which anytime you can say that i mean yeah there's the not a whole lot championship of championship game <clears throat> exactly not a whole lot of times that you can say that in northwestern's you know football history so i think well, the versatility too that that uh slater provides he can play yeah. all over the line it's not just he's a, that he he's a tackle. great athlete he's he's if you're cookie cutter, this is what I want from an NFL offensive lineman, like positionless NFL offensive lineman. You draw up a guy who looks like Rashawn Slater. Now, after those two at the top, Christian Darisaw still predicted projected to be a first round draft pick. I would expect to go somewhere in the mid first round. Tevin Jenkins at the late end of the first round. I think again, he was the lone quality offensive lineman that Oklahoma State had last year and you can tell when you watch the film the amount of stuff that he was adding to his own plate to try to help his team win he's a gamer great size great length I love his frame again just still a little he's a little slow a little raw uh, but a guy who I think can step in and be a quality offensive lineman here for a while Jalen Mayfield out of Michigan a lot of people like and I'll throw one other name at you guys here uh, Dylan Radnitz Radnance, I think it's Radnance. He's an offensive tackle out in North Dakota State, which again, the big farm boys up there in North Dakota, even playing in the FCS, you can get some really, really good offensive linemen. And when you watch him play, especially this year, I don't know how much of the spring FCS y'all have watched, but this is not the same North Dakota State team that we've been accustomed to seeing year in and year out. The difference of having him in 2019 versus having him now is very, very apparent. 
outside of those top two guys, give me your pick there for a mid-round flyer on someone who could potentially be a, or not even mid-round, but just, you know, after those top two guys. Yeah, I, I love guy. One of my top 10 prospects on my board is Elijah Vera Tucker out of USC. Um, well, we'll get who to, I think we'll is get underrated. I was we'll going to say, that. he's damn, like, I think he's but he there plays, too. I think he's he plays three. all over the place. Like, he just, well, he's, he's projected. An and again, and we'll, and we'll get to him in a second. He's projected to be interior offensive lineman at the NFL level. So I have him in the guard center category. Got but it. he could okay. potentially play in the – we're just talking about pure offensive tackles right now. Yeah, and the other guy I like that's rising up the board, probably in my top 20, is uh, is Sam Cosme out of Texas. Um, um, he he – he's another guy who just mauls. He's, he's like yeah. one of those big guys who, who's just a, a huge, powerful run blocker on the edge in the NFL. And that's, as we saw with uh, Tampa Bay, who won the, the Super Bowl when they build their, their offensive line in that way, where they can put big guys on the edge to block for guys like Leonard Fournette, who can still run into the end zone. Um, that's, that's huge. It's a game changer. Um, so Sam Cosme out of Texas is the guy I like. He's also a little like they're unsure about where he'll play. So another guy I had in that other category is kind of like those hybrids where we don't not hundred percent sure, but I'm right there with you. I like him a lot as well. Vito. I'm going uh, Tevin Jenkins. I think you're right. When you watch the tape, you you see a guy who you're just like, Oh shit, this is the best player on the field. And when you, yeah. and when you end up watching an offensive play and you're looking at the line and you're excited, that's how, you know, the guy's a top talent, right? Like, I don't even I don't even give a shit about where the ball's going. I really don't. I, all I care about is it's a five step drop, and this guy somehow is giving three and a half to four and a half seconds of space. And you're like, okay, this guy can make it at the NFL level. So that's that's where my vote goes. No, I, I and I'm with you. I I really like Tevin Jenkins, and that's a great point because every time that offense stepped on the field, especially with Chuba not quite looking the way that we're accustomed to Chuba looking like. He was the best player on the field for Oklahoma State in that offense every time they stepped out. All right, let's wrap up the show now, talking a little bit of interior offensive linemen, and we'll get into Elijah Veritaco here in a minute. But this year, we have actually – it's kind of rare. We have a lot of high-quality guard, center, interior, and even maybe a little flex guys who can kind of jump around. There's a – like, this is, again, this is a very loaded offensive line class. I'm really excited to see where these guys end up going – I'll run through some of the names, some of the – now, as far as interior guys, there's really only one name who we're expecting to potentially be a first-round draft pick, and that is Elijah Vera Tucker. Uh, After that, you could go kind of all over the place. Landon Dickerson out of Alabama coming off the ACL tear, but again, if he hadn't had his ACL tear, no question, first-round draft pick. He played center at Alabama. Liam uh, Liam Eichenberg, offensive tackle guard, maybe – Coming from Notre Dame, most likely going to be a guard at the NFL level. Sam Cosme, as you said, from Texas, offensive tackle guard. Alex Leatherwood, massive, insanely huge and terrifying human being, but he's pretty slow. So there's some concerns about whether or not he can kind of handle the edge pressure at the NFL level, played at Alabama. Uh, Creed Humphrey, center out of Oklahoma, love him. And then maybe my favorite player in the entire draft, Quinn Minerts, I think that's how it's pronounced, but he plays at Division Three, Wisconsin. Well, I mean, I don't have the pronunciation guide in front of me here, all right? <laughs> I just know the viral videos of him pass blocking trees on his farm oh, yeah. up in Canada. But he played at Wisconsin Whitewater, which is a Division Three school, but a Division Three powerhouse. 
Who of the interior offensive linemen do you think can come in right away, be an impact player, or who gets you excited at that position? I think when you look at it, first of all, I love that. The UW Whitewater pick, uh, uh, Quinn, again, I can't pronounce the last name either, but Minerts. Let's go with Minerts. Love the love the alt tape, right? That's what I always call it. the alternative tape. When you can show me, <laughs> you're doing some Muay Thai or some shit as a lineman, right? Or blocking trees. I'm pulling all in. pulling like a truck yeah. with a yeah. rope attached to it, even though that's, that's not that hard to do. Who cares? It's what we need, right? That's yeah. that's what we we love. So anyway, I, I think there were with guys jumping out of pools. <laughs> oh yeah, and Jason I think Pierre Paul. When you look at the the linemen, though, I'm impressed with the Alabama guys, and I think there's a couple. Not to mention Deontay Brown, who's six four, three fifty. He's the only guy bigger than Penny Sewell in terms of weight in the class. So, like, and you're talking about Mauler. I mean, if you weigh three hundred fifty pounds and you played for Alabama, you're going to be able to maul. You know what I mean? And yeah. so, I think the Alabama boys coming up, and, and again, that is Alex Leatherwood one of the best football names. I, I think he's a, he's a first rounder just based off name. Hopefully, you know, he's probably second, but still should have been a quarterback though. I mean, that's a quarterback uh, name, Alex Leatherwood, a linebacker. Leatherwood, Leatherwood yeah. drops back. He feels the pressure, looks left, <laughs> rolls out to his right, throws a deep touchdown. That's, a, say, that's a quarterback by name. Leatherwood. Oh my God. The linebacker was a linebacker. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so anyway, we got Leatherwood uh, and then obviously Landon Dickerson and then, and then Deontay Brown. Again, these guys are big dudes. And I think, uh, any one of them I would pick just coming out of Saban's offense and, and playing on that line. I like this guy, Trey Smith out of Tennessee. Uh, he plays hard. He's strong. He's a big, big dude. Uh, great run blocker. Um, great in short yardage. Uh, good anchor on bull rushes. Uh, he, he really is, is an effective guard on the interior. Uh, he's, he's going to drop, I think in the draft because he has some health issues. I think he has like a, uh, a heart condition, a pulmonary um, clotting issue. Uh, so he's going to drop in the draft, but he's, he's a talented, strong guy. I like, like Quentin Nelson interior line level type guy. If he can play it uh, at that level and get, uh, get a little better footwork. Um, but yeah, uh, I, Trey Smith out of Tennessee. Yeah. You know, I, I think at the top there, like, so when you talk about interior off interior offensive linemen, there's a few things you want to look at, right? You want to know if you're drafting a guard or a center, how athletic are they, right? Are you going to be able to use them in the pole game? Are you going to be able to get them in space as a lead blocker? Like, you know, you look at a guy like Jason Kelsey, who was a fourth round draft pick undersized and yet has been consensus. One of the best centers in football now for the better part of a decade. So I don't necessarily only look at talent or size. I look at kind of a little bit of everything. And the one guy who's going to be a mid round pick that I'm really excited about is Creed Humphrey out of uh, Oklahoma, that offense that they run, you know, they don't run a traditional running game there. They run a variation of the triple option where the first two options are passed. And the third option is running with the quarterback. Creed Humphrey was a lead blocker for Jalen hurts time after time after time when Jalen hurts is at Oklahoma. And I think he is an awesome, awesome value pick, whether to play guard or center there, and you can get him somewhere in the second or third round. Really, really like what Creed Humphrey has to offer. I would also say the same, and we'll see how he recovers from the injury, but with Landon Dickerson. Landon Dickerson is a guy who, if he hadn't gotten hurt this year, was going to be a starting center in the NFL this season. He was going to come in immediately and be a good, high-quality starting center in the NFL literally this season because when when you play center, it's not just about – 
what you can do. You need quick hands, quick feet. You got to get the ball snapped and get your hands up. But you also are setting up your offensive, you know, adjustments on your offensive line. You have to read defenses. You have to be smart to play center in the NFL. Landon Dickerson is somebody who has the ability to do that. And that's why despite tearing his ACL, I believe it was in the SEC championship game, he's still probably going to be a late first round, early second round draft pick there for uh, whoever, I mean, whoever needs a center. I mean, you look at a team like Pittsburgh, right? They're just moving on. They lost Marquise Pouncey. They might need a new kind of center of their offense. Maybe a team like Green Bay is looking for some shore up help right there in the middle of their offensive line. I still think Landon Dickerson has value. And, uh, and look, Elijah Vera Tucker, the one knock I have against him is that when you watched the USC offensive line play is that they are not the most physical group uh, uh, that you can watch. And most of the Pac-12 is not the same physical game as you will see in the SEC or the Big Ten and even the ACC a little bit. That's not to say he won't be a good pro. He just means to say is I don't see that dog in him, though he has the most talent and most athleticism out of anybody who is potentially going to be an interior offensive lineman out of this class. So he is who I would expect to be a first-round draft pick out of this group but I'm not a hundred percent sold on him yet being that, you know, premier guard for the next 10 years in the NFL. Um, before we wrap up any player, any co I mean, anything that we missed, any offensive player in this year's draft that you have a, a special affinity for that you, that we didn't get a chance to bring up yet on the pod. You no, know, we talked I, about Pratt fire mute. <laughs> I was going to say, I, I got, I got my, uh, Again, maybe not even top three three rounds here, but I got my KJ Costello, and I'm just saying watch out because the guy can sling it with the best of them, and I'm really excited to see what he can do. He's going to be a guy who's drafted as a backup, and I can't wait to see what happens in this extended preseason and, and what's going to happen here. Remember, dude. When a shortened his, preseason, I'm sorry. His first game at Mississippi State, he broke every passing record, the single-game passing record the SEC had. So the yep. talent is no, no question going to be there with Costello. It's just a matter of can they get him in the right system? Can they get him some pieces around him that can, uh, that can be successful? Uh, boys, this was a pleasure and far, far overdue. Love getting a chance to talk ball with both of you guys again. And look, for the listeners out there, this is going to start happening more and more. Vito, your life's been crazy. We obviously understand life comes first. It always does. And every time we get you on the pod, we're happy. Scotty, I still have you on retainer. And, uh, you know, you're, you're, when I call Scotty, he's like, yeah, let's hop on anytime. He's like, I, I'm, I just let the dog out. Let's go talk some ball here. I still haven't been paid, though. Yeah, you're not getting paid, man. <laughs> Sorry, buddy. You're not, you're not getting paid anytime soon. Anytime soon. Uh, boys, as always, thank you guys for joining me. I really appreciate the time. Love Anytime. it. Love you guys. Yeah. Love talking ball. All right, y'all. We will be back next week. Keep it locked in. We are just a week away. This comes out Thursday. Thursday morning, you're listening to this now. That means you are literally one week away from the NFL draft. So keep it locked in. We'll be back next week on Tuesday to break down the defensive side of the ball. Plenty of great content coming your way. And as always, we will talk to you later on. Take it easy, everybody.